1 Corinthians chapter 14. While you're turning there, just want to say Joe bragged on everybody. I'll, I'll second that. Thank you for everyone who helped and served. But, but also thanks to Joe. Joe did a good job this weekend. Uh, we had a good group of kids, and, and I think we learned a lot, and I hope we grew a lot through the weekend. Uh, we had some fun subjects that we got to preach on. Uh, we, we talked about three different sayings that, that people use that, that aren't necessarily in the Bible and tried to explain how uh, really this is what people mean and this is what the Bible really says on those things. And so uh, it was great. Joe did a wonderful job. Braden did a good job in his topic and preaching. And so we're just thankful to have uh, Joe, thankful for, for lay preachers like Braden who can step in and, and share the word. And so anyways, it was just a good weekend, Joe. I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Sorry. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three of each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it shows us. Uh, I pray that we as a church would be built up and encouraged today. I pray that we would see that uh, order in our services is, is a good thing and it's a God-ordained thing and that we would celebrate in that. Uh, and above all, I pray that Jesus would be lifted high and made much of. Uh, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we have been working our way through Corinthians really since January. Uh, and, and over the last several weeks, Paul's kind of been in this section of Scripture where he's addressing uh, the church and, and mainly the church gathering and how that's supposed to look when we come in here uh, on Sunday mornings. And so last week he, he talked about how the gift of prophecy or forthtelling God's word should be valued over the gift of tongues. That, that when we come in the, the, the church building, that prophecy or teaching God's word builds up the church, while, while tongues really only serves to, to kind of build the individual person up. That in our services, we should be more concerned about being word-centered and, and God's word being primary than we should be gift-centered. That every week we gather and we open up God's word to hear it proclaimed and that it's in the proclamation of God's word that we see Jesus lifted high for all to see. And that as Jesus is lifted high through the pages of Scripture, people are drawn into a relationship with Jesus. So, so Paul's point is, is not to go after and pursue eerie emotional experiences. But what we need every week as Christians is to hear the Word of God taught and proclaimed. 
And so this week in, in verses 20 through 28, he, he's still speaking about the Sunday morning gathering. Okay, I, I want to make that clear that, that he's not talking about our private worship times or our private devotions. He's talking about what takes place in here on Sunday mornings. And last week he, he addresses Christians specifically saying, hey, make sure that you're word-centered, not gift-centered. And then this week he addresses us as Christians, but his big concern for us as believers, brothers and sisters, is to be mindful of unbelievers as they come into our worship service. And so the next two weeks really are over the subject of order in our worship services, right? This week is, is about tongues, and then next week it's about prophecy and women in the service. Not controversial at all. All right? Be fun. Um, but what Paul wants you and I all to see as Christians is that our, our services should be orderly, not disorderly. That's his point. I don't know how many of you know the name Jackson Pollock. Uh, I'm sure if you Googled it, you would see a lot of his paintings, and all of a sudden you would go, Oh, yeah, I know who he is. He was the splatter paint guy, right, that he would chaotically and randomly just throw paint all over canvases. And all of his art was chaotic. It was random. And really what he was doing is I was reading about him, and I didn't understand it. I'm not an artist, right? But, but it was his way of talking about the chaos of life in the particular moment in history in which he lived, right? That's what artists do. They say weird things that the rest of us don't understand. And so he kind of sought to be random. He sought to be out there. And I thought, you know, that that's a helpful illustration because in some ways, that's how the Corinthian worship services were. They were random. They were disorderly. They were formless. They were messy, noisy, chaotic. Everyone was talking at once. They were drowning each other out. They were talking over one another. In fact, next week when we talk about women in worship, what Paul's talking about is a lot of time husband and wives were having these public fights in their worship service, <laughs> right? Which, which probably sometimes wives are like, just be quiet, husband, right? There were sudden outbursts of tongue speaking. There was no interpreter, when they had the Lord's Supper, they were privileging the rich and the powerful over the poor and uh, the second-class citizen. The whole thing was a mess, and the Corinthian church loved it. They, they thought that their informality, their spontaneity, their randomness, their unpredictability, they thought that that was evidence of spirituality, that they were saying, look, we don't need a proper order of worship because we're just out of control and it's all over the place. Then God is glorified in just our spontaneity because that's what he's about. See, they, they boasted in that. They took pride in that. And so what Paul does right here in these few verses is he steps in and he lays out for them why it's important to have order in your worship services, all right? So verse 20, look what he tells them. He says, brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So, so verse 20, very, very simple to understand. Paul says, grow up, guys. 
that, that you're acting juvenile in your thinking. So you're playing with the spectacular, with the sensational, and you're trying to make yourselves look like you're spiritual big shots, but in reality, what you're doing is just childish. See, maturity in the church, Paul says, thinks about what's best for the church. It thinks about what builds up the church, what blesses our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're honest, sometimes that's really hard to do, isn't it? Even with me, I had a, I had a dear, sweet sister in my office Monday morning. Uh, and, and through tears, we had to pray together because I was immature in maybe the way I delivered some of my message last week. My tone was probably more sarcastic than it should have been when it came to tongues. And this sister believed in the gift. And I should have been that way. And so we had a very sweet conversation and we held hands and we prayed. And I believe God was glorified in that. And I had to apologize for my immaturity in the way that I did some things. It's hard sometimes. One commentator put it this way. He said, it is indeed the characteristic of the child to prefer the amusing to the useful, the brilliant to the solid, right? I thought I was being really brilliant in my comments, but I wasn't. And this is what the Corinthians did by their marked taste for speaking in tongues. It is good to be infants where evil's concerned. That is the place for childlike attitude. But when it comes to thinking, they should be adults. And that's what Paul says. He says to respect wickedness, right? Be infants and evil. Kids have a proper understanding of what's evil and what's good, don't they? Ellie and I have a, a cartoon that me and Ellie watch, okay? Don't judge me, okay? And we watch it regularly together because I, I think it's really good. Lucy don't want to watch it. In fact, she'll come in the room, she'll wheel in there, and she'll go, what are y'all, uh-uh, I'm not watching that. And she'll wheel out of the room. It's too scary for her. She, she's still childish in, in the things that she watches. That's a good thing to have. We should all be that way when it comes to things that are not of the Lord. But Paul says in your thinking, though, you need to grow up. You need to stop checking your brains in at the door. And in verse 21, he references the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And in, and in one story in particular, about 800 years before Isaiah gives this prophecy in the book of Isaiah, the Lord had said this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49. It says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. And so 15 years before Isaiah gives this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28, that prophecy in Deuteronomy was fulfilled. The northern kingdom of Israel was uh, defeated and it fell to the Assyrian army and it was obliterated. Those people were scattered. They're called the lost tribes now. We don't know what happened to them. And then in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9, this is what Paul's quoting. Here, here's what Isaiah says, all right? It says, to whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Those who were weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. So the context of this is this. 
is that Isaiah is warning the tribes that are left that, hey, you have become vassals to Assyria, and because of your foolishness, Assyria is coming to get you. You will be next, and you will fall to the Assyrians. Well, all the leaders of Judah look at Isaiah, and they're like, ah, man, you're talking like a baby. You're just babbling. You're saying childish things. Wah, wah, Isaiah. And that's what they're telling him. And so Isaiah, in return, says to them this. He says that the Assyrians will sweep into Israel, and when they do, their language would be as incomprehensible to you as baby talk. That you're going to hear them speaking in this foreign tongue, and you're not going to know what they're saying. And when they do that, this babble would signify the judgment of God upon your nation. And it's a puzzling illustration, okay? I read it over and over again trying to go, what in the world's that got to do with speaking in tongues and worship service and all these things? But in verse 23, look what he says. Paul, Paul kind of explains to us what, what he means. He says, if therefore the whole, whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will, not, will they not say that you are out of your minds, all right? So he says this, that if an unbeliever walks into your worship service, Corinthians, he's coming in, you're all running around, it's chaotic, you're talking all over each other, it's just crazy in there, and an unbeliever walks in wanting to see what's going on at this place, they're going to see this and they're going to go, oh no, I'm gone. I am not sticking around for this, right? That lady's up at the front with the prayer flag and this is just wild, I'm gone. And in fact, last week in home groups, we had somebody talk about how they walked into a service one time that was like that, and they stood there for just a minute and went, nope, nope, see you later. And they just, they walked out and they left. They never went back. See, that's Paul's point, that unbelievers don't need to walk into a church and see chaos. And so instead of coming in and being able to hear the truth of Jesus preached and the Bible taught and what God has done for them in Jesus... They'll leave, which when they leave, it opens them up to the judgment of God because they may not have a chance to hear the scriptures taught. And so Paul doesn't want unbelievers to walk in and be judged. He wants them to come in and hear about Jesus and be saved. So as Christians, we should want to attract non-Christians. We should not want to repel them when they come into our service. That's why orderly worship is so valuable, right? Verse 24, look what he says. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an outsider enters, is he convicted by all? He is called, uh, or an outsider entered, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So he says, if instead of disorder and chaos, if an unbeliever comes in and there's, um, there's, there's order in the service, if there's prophesying or, again, telling forth God's word, which for our context would mean that they come in, that Bibles are open, scriptures being taught and expounded. If an unbeliever comes in, he hears that and he's convicted. That the secrets of his hearts are then disclosed and so then falling on his face, he worships God. So we talked about this last week, right? That, that a lot of us can say we've had this experience before. So when we come to church, we hear the word of God preached. And at first, we might not want to pay attention to it. Or first, we don't think it has anything to do with us. But the more it's taught, the more it's expounded, all of a sudden something begins to happen in your heart. And all of a sudden you begin to go, whoa, whoa, man, now I'm being convicted over that. And all of a sudden God begins to work on us and show us our need for a savior. That's Paul's point is that God's word, when it's open, can convict in all times and in all cultures. 
It convicts, but then he says it restores because it tells us that although we're sinful and we're separated from God, that he's made a way for us to be forgiven through the perfect life of his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived the life we should have lived. That Jesus took our punishment, absorbing God's wrath towards our sins on the cross. That Jesus rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death. And that he's promised to save us and hold us to the end until he calls us home or comes back to get us. And that's what we should be after in our worship service. A word-centeredness that then points us to Jesus. And that word-centeredness causes the unbeliever to come in and hear the gospel and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. And note that Paul's not contradicting himself and saying that prophecy isn't for unbelievers but for believers. His point is that prophecy assists people in their faith, whether they're already believers and hearing the gospel uh, over and over again and fueling them for the Christian life, or if they're unbelievers and they're hearing it for the first time, that the gospel is the message that we'd never get away from, that we come back to regularly. And so for this time in church history, tongues still existed, and Paul's not being hostile to tongues. He just wants the church to be careful and not abuse the gift which could lead unbelievers to reject the gospel. That's it. So the congregation gathers for believers to be built up and for the lost to hear the gospel. In verse 26, Paul says then, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So here's the basic worship instructions. And this text isn't prescriptive, meaning that we should do exactly what it says. It's just kind of a descriptive. It's kind of just throwing it out there saying, hey, here's the order. Here's some thought to how an order should look. And so Paul says, we gather, you you hear a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. That there should be an order where every person contributes. So so here's how we do that here. We, We try to have a time of singing where you're led in worship, Right? Mike did a great job this morning, and he tried to encourage you, which you did great at, by the way, pat yourselves on the back, of singing out to where we all hear one another sing. We try to do that every week because we want everyone to participate in the singing time. It's not a group of people entertaining you up here. It's them trying to get you to sing out and sing forth what Jesus has done for us. We want to come in here, and we want to have people read Scripture like Ginny did before I preach. We want to have others do that. We want to pray. We've been throwing guided prayers in recently because it's good for the congregation to pray back things and to to speak good, deep theology from the Word of God back so that we could be edified and built up. There's an order in what we try to do in here every week. And we want to do it to build people up. We don't want to confuse them. We don't want to drive them apart. And so then Paul gives those practical instructions there at the end for tongues in the corporate gathering. He says, hey, when somebody speaks in tongues, it should be done in an orderly fashion, not out of control. Only one person speaks at a time, not over one another. There's no place for this overlapping, right? That's just chaos. That's not order. And he's warning against chaos because remember, for this time in church history, I believe Right, that the spiritual gifts or the outward signs of these gifts, tongues, prophecy, those things, those existed. And so what Paul wants them to see is that order and peace aren't against one another. They're not enemies, but they're friends. They come together to help build up. 
And he says if there's an interpreter present, then that person speaking in tongues will know. I don't know how that worked. Either that person could interpret or somebody in the church knew, hey, I'm called to interpret this. And they would stand up and interpret it. But Paul says, hey, if that's not present, then just be silent. And then he says, pray to yourself. So, so Paul says he has no problem with t- private tongue speaking. And we, wish we, we knew more about why Paul didn't have a problem with that. We don't. Scholars don't know. But remember... He's not talking about private worship here. He's talking about the corporate gathering. So he's like, hey, man, if that's something that you feel led to do, then privately, that's between you and the Lord. You use that privately. And like I said last week, I believe after the Bible was complete that the miraculous sign gift ceased to exist. But, but some believe in tongues, okay? And as my, my dear sister sat in my office this week, and we had a great conversation of saying, hey, Awesome. I'm glad that that's where you land, and that's okay. We don't divide over this. Just as long as we do this privately, then praise the Lord, to which we both agreed. And we had a wonderful meeting over that this week. But understand that speaking in tongues is not evidence of having the Holy Spirit. That upon your salvation, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one that's helping us understand the scriptures today. The Holy Spirit was present with me and my sister this week as we had that meeting. The Holy Spirit is responsible in salvation. The Holy Spirit is active right now. So understand that you don't have to speak in tongues to have communion with God, right? That you can have that anywhere, at any time, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so... What's the takeaway, all right? I know this is, like, this is a specific time in church history. I don't understand how this all applies to us. Uh, but, but I think that there is a takeaway for us. And the big thing is this, is that we have to always make sure we're acting mature in church. That, that we don't act like children in our thinking. That, that means that we pursue the things that build up the church, not divide the church. Uh, that means me as a pastor being able to sit down and, and tell a sister, I'm sorry for my tone. I'm sorry for my sarcasm. I apologize for that. That means being mature in those areas. As believers, though, we should desire to have the word taught. And that should be our priority every week. That the person in the pulpit, whether it's me or Joe or Braden or a guest preacher, would open God's word and they would feed us the meat of the scripture. That should be primary to all of us, that we hold God's word high in high regard, that we gather to be edified, that we gather to be built up, that we gather to be convicted of sin so that we can lay our sin down, turn from it, and find joy and happiness and satisfaction in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That building up the church should be the primary concern for each and every one of us in this room, that we should encourage one another, love one another, and genuinely desire to be around one another. And that all this should take place in an orderly fashion so that when unbelievers come in this door, they're encouraged and they have the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel. And we don't want them to enter our building and go, "Uh uh-uh, and never come back again. See, our worship services should be designed for believers. I've told you that. That what we're doing here is first and foremost for Christians. right? The Bible's clear that non-Christians don't quite understand what we're doing. They think we're kind of crazy. But when we gather in here, we're here first and foremost for Christians, right? That's why if you look at verses 16, 23, and 24, Paul uses the same word to describe out, uh, non-Christians. He calls them outsiders, that they're not a part of the gathering. There should be an order in our services that should be clear, though, to those outsiders so that when they come in, there's no confusion. So every week, 
We're gathering for believers, but we are so mindful of unbelievers. We're here to lift up and encourage believers, but we're here to share the gospel so that unbelievers have a chance to hear and know more about Jesus. So let me just be, uh, let me just encourage us to be mature in our thinking, to come to church desiring to, to build one another up, not to have our felt needs met or be entertained, but to come and to build one another up. Adults say, it's not about me, it's not about my preferences, it's not about what I want, it's about others. So please let us gather every week and rejoice in having the word taught and allow that to shape us, shape our hearts, and to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for what it teaches us. I just pray that we would have an order in our worship that would point everyone to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive me for, for the times that even as pastor, I'm not mature in my thinking or uh, my, my ways. Father, help me to always remember that I'm in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus as much as the next person. And I pray that now in the next few moments, that as we stand to sing, that we would make much of Jesus and what he's done for us. I pray if there's an unbeliever in here today that as the gospel was shared about what Jesus has done for us, that they had a chance to hear that. And that, Father, you would save them and you would draw them to yourself. Uh, and that, Father, they would grab somebody, whether it's coming and talking to me or a dear friend and saying, Hey, I heard about Jesus today and I, I need him. That you have worked and that you've changed hearts and lives. Thank you for all you've given us, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would please.